One, two, there we go. Thank you, Deanna. Well, it's good to see all of you. Congratulate our, our, our youngest members of the church and uh, the courage that it took to make that decision. It's awesome. Northview High School. Uh, today, if you're visiting here with us, we're uh, almost at the very end uh, of our series called Recovery Road. And uh, because our country is in the process uh, of recovery, uh, we thought it's very important for us to talk about this topic, and you're going to see why at the end of the service. Uh, and I said, we're going to keep talking about this until we recover, so uh, it, it's going to take a little bit longer than I think a sermon series for us to cover as a nation. So I promise on the 18th, we're done with this series. We move on until the next one. But I hope that this has really helped your faith. Uh, and if you're here for the first time and you'd like to hear what we've talked about for the last few weeks, you can go to our website. Uh, it's on the newsletter, and you can see it there. Uh, what we've been talking about the last last few weeks. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, I want to start out with a quiz. Uh, our country's in the middle of a recovery, but let, let's read this, this phrase here. And I want you to guess and try to think of what time period this came from and what country wrote this quote. You ready? The budget should be balanced. The treasury should be refilled. Public debt should be reduced. The arrogance of officialdom should be tempered and controlled, and the assistance to foreign lands should be curtailed, lest blank become bankrupt. People must learn to work instead of living on public assistance. I'll open up. Any idea? Unless you were downstairs in the children's program, you can't participate. Any idea who, what country and at what time period this was written? I'm sorry? America, good guess. Maybe a little further back. Great Britain, good guess. Anybody else? Rome, 55 BC, in the time of Emperor Cicero. If this doesn't open your eyes to here we go again, history repeats itself over and over and over and over. And you thought we were the first ones dealing with a need for recovery. But uh, it's amazing. We do it again and again, but we never learn. And, and in one sense, God knows the whole time what our needs is. And, and the whole purpose of this, this series called Recovery Road is that, that God has the answers. He can teach us how to live so we can avoid these pitfalls in our nation in our own economy, personally, as individuals. And that's what we're going to see today, what led us to this crisis. How can we recover? You know, when we started this series, we said the thing that our, has grabbed our, our, our nation's attention is the financial crisis. But I want to clarify something. We don't have a financial crisis in this country. What we have is we have a spending problem. Like way, 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 way out of control. And you're going to see that in the series. But we, you know, we decided rather than point fingers, this is the first, first lesson in our series, we're not going to point fingers. It starts with we, not they, pointing to Washington, pointing to Sacramento. It starts with we. It starts with us. And if, if we're doing the same things as Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to find the speck in your brother's eyes. But, you know... I don't know how much you've had a chance to travel around the world, but once you go to some of the other nations, even nations that you would consider are pretty prosperous and you come here, there's a reason why people want to live in the United States of America. Even from Europe, even from Asia, they want to live here. They want to come here. Do you know why? Because we're the most prosperous nation in the world. But the problem is we've abused our prosperity. And we talked about that in week two. We've gone way overboard, and you're going to see that today. Just like individuals, nations sometimes don't realize that they have a problem and thing, until things get really, really tight. And in my work as a minister, I deal with people that have an addiction problem. But the, the addiction problem really doesn't present itself as a problem or a crisis until they run out of money. Then they realize, hey, I've got to change. I've got a problem here. But before, when they have money... And then, you know, in our church here, three years ago, we started working on a program called Crown Financial. How many of you remember Crown Financial? That's a lot of people. 
And, and, and we, we started this three years ago. We did it last year. It's an incredible, it's an intense program, 10-week small group program, where we learn from the Bible what God has to say about finances. And why are we talking about this, this, this subject of recovery? Is because the Bible has so much to say about how to put our lives in order, and we're going to see that. But in Crown, there's this, there's this quote, or this mentality. It says, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who pay interest and those who collect interest. Those who pay interest, meaning you're paying people to have what you have, or those who collect interest, meaning you're making money. And basically the decision is up to us. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want a person that's paying out? Or do you want to be a person that is collecting? Pretty easy question to answer, isn't it? You, you want to be the one collecting, but it's a choice that we make. And we're going to see how what God has to say. But in this whole program of Crown Financial, it basically calls us as Christians, if we're going to live according to the Bible, you've got to reorder your financial priorities. Things like this. Give first, then save or pay down debt. Those are your first two priorities. Give first or save, pay down debt. And then number three, spend. In our society, who does that? It's reverse, right? Spend. Then, if there's anything left over, maybe save it. And maybe if there's anything left over after that, you'll give a little bit in the plate today to the church or a nonprofit organization. But in this mentality... With, with the Crown Financial, it, 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 it basically emphasizes from top to bottom, do not accumulate debt. But let's be honest, who does that really in the United States of America? I hope that us that went through the program, we're doing this. Because if not, we're going to be like Rome and repeat itself over and over and over again. But there's some problems with this mentality that uh, Crown Financial talks about. That teaches. You want to know what the problems are with this? Here we go. Number one, you can't have everything you want. You can't. That's a bummer, isn't it? You can't have it. You want it, you can't have it. You have to learn how to say the power word. You have to get yourself in front of the mirror and look at yourself in the eye and say, No. Your wife has to look at you in the eye for the men and say, no. And husbands, you have to look at your wife and look at her in the eye and say, okay, whatever. <laughs> Just kidding. No, right? No. But that's a hard thing to do. Number two, what's really negative about this, this mentality that Crown Financial talks about, the drawback is you can't have everything you can quote-unquote afford. You know, as you look around in our society, you'll see somebody who makes less than you driving out on a, riding on a nicer car than you, living in a bigger house than you. And you ask yourself the question, hey, I make more than he or she does. How is it that they have more? They can afford more than I can have. And it becomes this, you know, this comparison, and we're always trying to level up. But with this mentality, what they teach is, no, you can't, you can't have what you quote-unquote can afford. Because a lot of those people, they, they get a huge house with no money down. And instead of buying a car, paying in cash, they lease it. And that's what they encourage you to do in, in this, this program, Crown Financial, is they tell you, don't, don't, don't uh, buy a car with a loan, wait and pay cash, buy a used car. But who wants to do that? Really? Number three, you have to live on a budget. What's that? A budget means that you take what your income is, you list out all your expenses, and you live off of 70% of your income. And then you divvy out the rest for other things. Like giving. Like saving. Like emergencies. An emergency fund. 
But who does that? Who lives on a budget? And number four is, and this is a hard fact that they teach you in that, that Crown Financial program, is when the money runs out, you have to stop spending. What fun is that? You know? Why let that limit you? So those are the drawbacks. But you know what? We live in the United States of America, and it's so cool that we get to live in this country, such a prosperous nation. You can get a credit card, credit line, car loan, home equity line. This allows you to, to, to reach out into your future. You can literally, it, it's, it's kind of like back to the future. Ever seen that movie, you know, the old school movie in the 80s? You know, where they would travel into the future. You could grab a whole fistful of cash out of your future, pull it back into the present, and guess what? You get to spend it now. Isn't that awesome? Wow! And you can, you can pull that money out of your future. What you couldn't afford today, you can have it now. What you could afford tomorrow, you can have it now. That's incredible. It's like magic, isn't it? See, you guys are kind of holding back here. Isn't that awesome? This is incredible. God, yes, the USA. We're, we're the USA. Isn't it great? And you can have more and you can have better right now in your life. But why follow those principles that we looked at before? Why do that? It's very rare to find people who live according to the crown financial principles because the majority of people do not do that. And we live in a culture that says, why wait when you can have it now? And this has become our mentality in the United States of America. It's a great system, the United the States of America plan. It's a great system. It's so much fun. You get to have it all right now until the money runs out. Or in the case of a credit line, guess what runs out? Your credit runs out. And you can't get any more money. Uh, or the minimum payment balloons up so big that you can't even afford that anymore. That's frightening. So when you hit this wall, when you hit this bump of overextending your credit, guess what you have to do? You have to go back to those principles, here's what it's, happens next is, number one, you can't have everything that you want. Number two, you can't have everything that you used to be able to afford. And then number three, you have to live on a budget. And then number, number four, when the money runs out, you have to stop spending. Same principles. It's just a matter of when and what conditions you're going to live in in the future. And it's a, it's a choice that you and I have to make. And our country has hit a huge bump. Did you know that? Have you realized that we are in the middle and even when we watch the video, it says, you know, price of gasoline is $3.92. Oh, I wish. You wish. Right? It's like, it, it's like $4.30, $4.40. It's going to be $5 by the summer. We're all going to be walking to church and walking home. Right? Or riding your bike. We're going to have, instead of the parking lot, it's going to be all bicycles like they have in China. Right? And some of you are going to be lean and mean because you're riding your bike everywhere. You're going to have your spandex shorts and helmet and color shirt, colorful shirts. But I, I don't know if you've heard in the news yet, the United States of America has run out of money. We've run out. There's no more money. And if there is money, guess what we're still doing? And there are people in this country and even in this audience, individuals, because one thing to talk about the country, it's another individuals, they've run out of money too, but guess what they're doing? Still spending. And it's created this snowball effect. And even our president has said, 
these words, you can't, we cannot continue to deficit spend, but what do we do? You could say it, but what do we do? We continue to do it. And you know something interesting about this bump that we're in the middle of right now? It could have been a little bump. It could have been a little problem. But now it's a major disaster that it's taking us to the very brink as a nation. And even our president has said, we can't have it both ways anymore. You can't have this huge military. You can't have all this entitlement spending. You can't have this program, this program. We have to slow down and stop. But again, saying and doing are two different things. And, and one of the things that we've got to realize is that in our country, this is what we're having to go through as a country now. The United States of America, we can't have everything we want. Number two, as a country, we can't even have everything that we once could have afforded. No mas. No more. Number three, we have to live on a budget. Now, this is funny. This is a humorous point. How can you live on a budget as a country when we don't even have a budget? They're trying to write an amendment in Washington to come up with a budget. How are you going to live on a budget when there is no budget? How insane is that? Now, I realize it's easier for us to put together our budget because we're dealing with smaller numbers, but shouldn't there be a budget for our, our national financial expenditures? But there isn't. They don't have one. And they're fighting over whether they should make an amendment. Why do you have to pass a law to get one? And then number four, when the money runs out, you have to stop spending. Do you realize that we've never done this as a nation? This has never stopped us. We keep on spending. And to think about that. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you have a bill, there's, there's a warning label on the bill. There's a warning label on your currency. Mine has it right here, and it's up on the screen. There's a warning label. You know what the warning label is? It's, it's, it's printed. The warning label is printed on the money. And it basically says this. In God, we talked about this last week, it's our national motto. In God, we trust. It's a warning. We're going to trust God instead of this. We're going to put our trust in God instead of this. It's on the money. It's on the bill. It's on our currency. And you know what else this phrase is saying? It's saying we trust more what God has to say about our money than we do other nations or smart people in our country right now. It's on the money. And we don't do it. The very thing that got us in this situation, the very thing that got us in this situation is printed on the money. How crazy is that? And instead, we could be planning our future, but right now we're trying to dig ourselves out of a huge, enormous hole we have in this country. But I want to take you back like we did last week. When God started with His people Israel, when He took them out of Egypt and He set them free from slavery, He basically took them and He began teaching them how to live. And you know what? One of the main emphasis that God gave His people in the book of, of, of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy, you know what? One of the main emphasis is that He taught in the laws to His people, His new starting from scratch people, Israel. You know what He taught them a lot about? He dedicated a lot of teaching about money. And finances. Because God knows that as the money goes, so goes the what? The nation. Jesus said it like this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. For where your, heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, I know some of you are here in church today, but that's not really a good indicator. 
you know, where your attendance is is not necessarily where your heart is. You want to know how to know where your heart is? Your checkbook. Your bank account. Your statement. If you want to know. If you want to know where your heart is, then look at your checkbook. You can see it right there. Who do you write the check to? How much it was for? You can see there's your heart. And wherever your heart goes, so goes your money. And wherever your money goes, bingo, there's your heart. And we're going to see this about our nation. And God said, you know, it's so important that you guys learn how to manage your money well. And He promised this to His people. Deuteronomy 28, verse 12. Look at this. This was in the beginning when He was starting over with His people. This is what He taught them. This was His promise to bless them. The Lord will open the heavens the storehouse of His bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Now check this. This is, this is incredible right here. You as a people Israel, you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. What's that telling you right here? Does God want His people borrowing money? He said, Israel, he says, I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to bless your country. I'm going to bless what you do so much that you're going to be the ones lending out the money. People are going to come to you for money. But I don't want you. I don't want you to be a people that borrow. I'm going to set you up. And wealthy nations, so you understand, wealthy nations do not borrow. They lend. They've got money. And they're the ones making the money, lending the money. And this was God's plan all along. Old school United States of America. I, it's been a while, but if you talk to your grandparents, at some point, if you were wealthy, you had zero debt. In fact, there was no such thing as a credit card. It didn't exist. Everything what you bought, you had to pay with cash. And there, there weren't even that many checks, but you had to pay in cash. People would bring a wad of cash, and they would pay in cash. I even remember it rolled over into my dad's life. You know, when he bought a car, he paid in cash. Go to the bank first, take out a stack of money, bring it to the car dealership. Boom, it's my car now. Fully paid. Isn't that amazing? And, and I remember, you know, I, I would talk to him about money occasionally, and he would say, yeah, I, I, I pay in cash. Like, well, you must be wealthy. But see, wealthy has to do with the way you manage your money, not necessarily the total sum of your account. But back in the old days, if you asked a wealthy person, if you asked a wealthy person, you said, hey, I want to offer you a credit line. I want to offer you a loan. You, you know, they would get mad at you. They would get insulted. What do you mean? Offer me credit? I don't need credit. Because in those days, debt was bad. Debt was really, really, really bad. Debt was an indication that you had real problems. If you had debt, people would go like, whoa, what, what's going on with your life? You must have real problems. Even poor people didn't have debt. They just wouldn't spend. And if you were to be offered, you know, if you were to offer to grandparents alone, they'd get very insulted and, and, and probably get mad at you because it was just a different mentality. Everything was paid for in cash. And here's one of the things that, that you'll see. I want to teach you a Hebrew word from the Old Testament. And this is what, what they used to practice in the old days. You ready? I'm going to pronounce it for you. It's called La Yahweh. It's a Hebrew word. In English, in English it's, per, it's pronounced, it's translated lay away. Remember lay away? It's back again. Layaway was an old school principle that people would buy stuff by putting money aside little by little. And so they'd get the same price on that brand new washer once they paid it off. So each week what people would do is they walk into the store and they're doing it now in Kmart, Walmart, all these different stores. They brought it back at Christmas season. Layaway. 
But people would be very quiet about layaway. Layaway wasn't something you'd tell somebody, oh, yeah, i got to wash and layaway. You'd be really quiet because you'd be ashamed. You know, they'd sneak in. They'd wait for the time when the person behind the register was somebody they didn't know. They didn't go to their church or anything like that. They'd walk in and they'd slide them 20 and say, here's, here's 20 for the washer. I'll be back next week. And then next week they come back with another 20. And then when they came up with the last payment, oh, yeah, they tell everyone, see, I got a brand new washer. Check me out. And they'd be happy and rolling it out. And they'd always pick the right time so everyone would see them rolling out with the new washer. Pretty cool, right? That's the way the things were done in the old days. Lay away. But nobody borrowed money. That just wasn't the way to get things done. But somewhere along the line, not sure when, but things got flipped. Because there was a change. Now the motto is, or the, the, the mentality is, the wealthier you are, the more money you owe. It became something in vogue or that was, was, was in style that if you're wealthy, you've got a lot of debt. And the, the, the more high-powered you are, is the, the more you can leverage debt to make more money. And this was a huge shift in our mentality and in our culture. And the idea was, why pay cash when you can use credit? You know, I can remember uh, when, I, when, I, when I bought my, my car recently in, in, in my, my Honda Element a number of years ago, and I had the money to buy the car cash because that's what they were talking about. You know, there was such a pressure. The manager came in and he said, hey, you know, we'll offer you like a 0.4% interest rate. And this was before I really started to do Crown Financial and, and I caved in. Because this was our mentality. Why pay cash when you can pay credit? Use the money for something else. Invest, it. Invest the cash. Make interest on your cash. Do something else. So now, today, what was bad is now good, and what's good is now bad. Paying with cash is bad, and accumulating debt is good. And that's where the whole thing got started. And, and why do you think God would go on and on about debt and borrowing? Like, don't do it, don't do it, because he must have known something. And we need to know what God knows about money and about debt. And I think we're starting to see it. And you know the interesting thing is, the B-I-B-L-E, the book for me, it was written in this book all the time. Thousands of years ago, it was written in this book, how to avoid what we're in the middle of right now. This isn't new information we're going to talk about today. In fact, it's very, very, very old information. Look in Proverbs chapter 22. On the screen, you don't have to look. Look, it says here from Solomon, the wisest man, Proverbs 22, verse 7, it said, The rich will rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, this, this first phrase, the rich will rule over the poor, it's, it's not a question of fair. It's a fact. You know, there have been many attempts of, of, of communist governments attempting to make everything fair, that everybody gets three eggs a week and everybody's going to get it. But I don't know if you know this, but the, the leaders of these countries, communist countries, have billions of dollars stored away in overseas accounts. They're excessively wealthy. And that was the idea that people are going to share and make everything fair. It's a fact. The rule, the rich will rule over the poor. You can argue it all day long. Well, we shouldn't have that. It exists because you've got these people that make these poor decisions and they get themselves into poverty. Then the second one, this is what applies to us. And the borrower, borrower is servant to the lender. In other words, you work for the lender. You work for the lender. You work for the bank. If someone, if someone, if you owe someone, then you end up working for them as a servant. 
And you know what? God never wanted His people to be slaves again. He doesn't want you to be a servant of anyone except Him. And He's the only one, only one, as it says, on the back of our currency. He's the only one worthy of our trust. You know how I know you don't trust Bank of America? Because every time you get a statement from them telling you, telling you how much you owe this month, how do you like that letter? You walk around the house going, Hey, I got a letter from Bank of America. I got a letter from Wells Fargo. I love Bank of America. I love... You know what you do with that letter? You throw it off the side and you try to forget about it. Until you pay your bills. And when you drive by Wells Fargo, Chase, Chase Bank, I know some of you work for Chase Bank, not, not, but it's just the mentality. You owe them money. They're coming after you for money. All over the place. Do you like that? Do you love the bank? Do you love the credit union? Oh, I love my credit union. No, you don't. You hate it. We all hate it. And God doesn't want us to be in that position at all with anyone. And He tries to teach us not to live according to these principles. So somewhere along the line, I'm not sure when it happened, but things got flipped. Debt was bad, now it's good. And it started, it's an interesting thing, Offering credit began with the upper middle class, probably in late in my dad's generation and then in the, the following gen generation, somewhere in between. But it started with the upper middle class because, see, they had the means to pay down the loan. And so they started offering credit, the whole idea. Some very smart people came up with this idea that we're going to give out credit cards. And... It spread to the middle class because, you know, they figured out we can charge them a little more interest because they're a little bit higher risk so we can get them in the game. And then our economy, this, this idea of debt was such a great, smart, intelligent idea because they figured out we could fuel our economy. We could build our economy on debt. And so some very, very smart people came up with a plan. Let's get everybody in debt. Okay, so they got the rich people in debt. They got, offered them credit lines, loans, all kinds of things. Got the upper middle class. You got the middle class. And you got the lower middle class. And so they, they, they saw this huge prospect for money. Profit. And they thought, they sat in the boardrooms and they said, who else can we get? Who else can we find to get into debt? And some guy raised his hand in the boardroom and said, I know. Let's get the young and the poor into debt. We can get them into debt. And then, because isn't it fair if the rich can have debt, shouldn't the poor have debt? If the old people can have debt, shouldn't the young people have debt? I mean, let's be fair here. Everybody should have debt, right? And then I want to describe to you. I know some of you know what this is. This, this was, this was the, 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 the bottom or the top or wherever, however you want to look at it. This idea of a subprime loan. Some genius came up with this one. Very wealthy, very smart person. Came up with, and I know some of you know, I don't want to insult your intelligence. You probably know what this is anyway. But just for the younger crowd, for, for people that may not know. A subprime loan. Now, that word sub, what does sub mean? It means under, right? It means below. You know what the definition of a subprime loan is? Here it is. A loan offered at a rate above. above. I, thought, I thought subprime meant below. How is it that it's above? At a loan of offered at a rate above prime for people who do not qualify for a prime rate loan. Experts would agree this was the very breaking point of our financial crisis. Everybody should have debt. And they succeeded. Everybody has it. 
And this is, the, this is the land of opportunity, right? Why not give everybody an opportunity to have debt? Why not, why not put a ball and chain on our young people? When they go to college, their most vulnerable years, let's get them to sign up for student loans so we can, we can enslave them for the rest of their lives. We'll own them until they're like 40. But then we'll offer them all kinds of other credit lines so we'll keep them. I know I'm being very, very, very sarcastic and, and quote-unquote funny, but let's be honest here. How does this make you feel? And some of us never stop to think about this because everybody else is doing it and it's the land of opportunity. And then guess what happened? The music stopped. We hit a huge wall. We hit a huge bump. And all those people that we thought we could take advantage of or they could take advantage of, because it was funny. It was like, you know, in around 2004, 5, 6, everybody's running around. Hey, we got money. Hey, we're in the money. We got money. And let's go to the store and let's spend and let's buy, let's buy, let's buy. And then in 2008, the reality hit. People couldn't pay back those loans. Not one loan, two loan, three loan, four loan, credit card, car. And it's very sad what's happened. And all, as I said before, the experts agree that the subprime loans were the final straw that created our financial crisis. It was what? The final boom. My question is, have we learned anything yet? Have you learned anything yet? Have we learned anything? And guess who's suffered suffering the most right now? The young and the poor. If you know anything about this book, and what's written in this book? You know what God hates? I mean, He hates, He hates, He hates, He hates when wealthy people take advantage and exploit the young and the poor. He hates it. And there's a consequence. And throughout Scripture, God, He just He just hates it. And but all this all this debt was the mentality is let's fuel our economy. But remember the principles that I told you about in the beginning. We can't have everything anymore. And at some point, we've got to wake up and go. You know what? We got a problem. And you know the the, the crazy thing about what we've seen is. We are the most prosperous nation in the world. We had everything. We had, the, we had life on a silver platter. We had it all. And yet it still wasn't enough. We had by far more than any other country. And yet it wasn't enough. We had to go and grab money from our future, pull it out of our future and say, we're going to spend it now. And you know what has fueled our economy, really? You know what has fueled our problem, really? Greed. It wasn't enough to be the most prosperous country in the world. It wasn't enough to be the most blessed country in the world. We had to have more. And some of us still, we have this situation where our lives are so blessed, you got more than anybody in your whole, your whole history of your gene line. You have more than your parents, your grandparents, your great-great-great-parents. You've got it all, and yet it's still not enough. Think about that. See, we've got a problem as a nation. We've got a problem as a people. And at some point, we've got to stop and go, no more. No mas. And that what's fueled our, our crisis is greed. So, you know, we could, we, could, we could end the sermon right now and pray and go home. But this would probably be the most hopeless, depressing sermon of all time. Right? Don't you feel hopeless? What are we going to do? 
But I want to encourage you. Is our situation hopeless? You know, when we started Crown Financial, just to give you an idea, there were people in so much debt. But because they began to put into practice the principles of Crown Financial and principles of courses like, it's not the only one, there's Dave Ramsey and these people that they scream, you know, act your age, act your wage. And, and people call into the program and they say, I got out of $100,000 of debt. And they're so excited. They did it. We've got families in our church that were able to dig themselves out of a huge, enormous debt. And so many families have done this. So our situation is not desperate and hopeless. There is a way out. And it's possible for you and I to get out of debt. And it's possible for you young people in the first four rows to not get in debt. You don't have to do that. You can make choices. But hard decisions have to be made. Now, if a person sits down with their family and says, Hey guys, we're going to get out of debt. And we're going to go for it. And we're going to get everything. But we're not going to sell the boat. And we're not going to change our cell phone plan for a cheaper one. And we're going to keep our TV package, you know, direct TV dish, you know, whatever it is. We're going to keep that too. And, you know, instead of Johnny and Joey going to, uh, uh, you know, a local college so we can save money, we're going to continue to send them away to a very expensive college and pay debt. Is that the mentality that's going to get you out? People that have recovered, they understand this. you got to put everything on the table and go, everything's negotiable. It's painful. It's like ripping a scab off. It's very painful. But that's the way it gets done. Even the experts say this quote, the shortest path to financial strength is generally the best path, meaning straight at it. Don't, don't veer to the right or to the left. Go straight at it. Cut hard, cut deep, and it'll be over sooner. And this is, this is what we've seen. But in talking about this, how can we do this as a nation? I mean, it's a much bigger problem as a nation. And as we talked about when Kevin Holland was here two weeks ago, we need more Nehemiahs in leadership. And I want to encourage you to continue to pray for our leaders. This is a huge year this year. You need to pray that God will put the right people in the right place to help our nation recover. Because it's not just about our economy. It's not just about our money, our, our employment, our situation. This has huge ramifications. Because, you know, we used to be a country that influenced the world for good. And in our context, we influenced the world for Christ. You know, we were responsible for sending out more mission work around the world than any other country. And that slowed down significantly because of our problem. And so... I want to encourage you when you vote this year to vote for somebody who doesn't care about getting reelected. Because they won't. If they do the right thing, they won't be reelected. People who are not going to blame the previous president or presidents, but take responsibility. Somebody that owns it says, I'm not blaming anybody. We have to shoulder the responsibility now. This isn't about blame shifting. And also a group that doesn't care about who gets the credit. Well, then we're going to wait until the Democrats are out of office so that the Republicans come in and we can get the credit. It has to be somebody who doesn't care about party lines. That they care about our economy and they care about doing the right thing for our future and for future generations. This is who we need to weigh in on. And a group that understands that fair only applies to the merry-go-round. That's it. See, things will not be fair. Some people are going to have to pay more than others, but it's not going to be fair. All of us are going to have to have resolve to resolve the issue. So who should we vote for? Well, I'm going to tell you. No, just kidding. We've never done that, and we never will. It's not about who. It's about what are you looking for in their characteristics.
a Nehemiah. Somebody who understands these principles. And I'm going to give you some parameters so you can kind of figure out what kind of people these are. Don't vote for someone who promises that under no circumstances they're going to raise taxes. I promise you, taxes are going to have to go up if we're going to pay down a $15 trillion deficit. There's no way around it. There's just no way. If somebody says that, there's just no way it's going to happen. And don't vote for someone who promises that they're not going to change entitlement spending. Whatever benefits you're getting, you're going to keep on getting them. Don't buy it. Don't vote for that person because they are not telling the truth. They are lying. Vote for the person who requires something of you rather than promise something to you. This is huge. And we live in a country where we have elected elected, uh, officials. Vote for a person that will look in the camera and look you in the eye and say, I promise you pain. I promise you pain. But a rainbow at the end. That's the guy. That's the person, man or woman, who we're looking for as a leader. Anyone else who doesn't believe in these things is not informed or they are flat lying to you. And the truth of the matter is our situation is too desperate for us to buy the same old empty words as before. We're a nation that was built on Christian principles. And if we'd have held on to these Christian principles, we could be out. We could be planning our future right now instead of trying to recover from an insurmountable crisis. So why am we talking about this? You know, because our nation has been so, so, so blessed. Some of you don't have any idea. I was born in 1963. We didn't have what we have now for you younger people. We were a family of five. We lived in a house about 1,900 square feet. The bedrooms were very small, and we had bunk beds, and we didn't have a lot of stuff. And hand-me-downs, I was the fifth child. Hand-me-downs were a common thing. And I was taller than my brother. So the pants would come up to like there. And let me tell you, my situation was not as tight as other people's situation generations before us. But we were fine. We were blessed. We had so much. We were a powerful nation. But something's got out of hand here. And so I want to encourage you, it's not, it's not about they, it's about we. And recovery begins with we, not they. And so why are we talking about this? Because I want to encourage all of you, if you're not convinced now that the Bible is the Word of God, and that what was written thousands of years ago could have saved us, can still save us, can still help us. God wants power over our lives to save us, to help us, to build us, to put us back together again. He wants to make us into a prosperous people, a prosperous nation, so we can use our prosperity to help the needy, to help the sick, to make a difference for good, but not so we can spend it all on ourselves and hoard it. And shipwreck our future generations. That's not his plan. His word talks about leave your children an inheritance. Don't leave your children a debt. That's his place. So if you're here visiting today, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you so much to embrace fiscal discipline in recovery. This is our phrase for the day. Recovery begins when we embrace physical discipline required to become a nation that lends rather than borrows. You've got to make that choice. And with these points, I want to encourage you to begin a lifestyle of reading the Bible and obeying the Bible. Put it into practice. There's so many resources out there you can learn about how to avoid really, really bad things in your life. And if, you're, if you have personal debt today, I want to encourage you to not mess around and urgently pay down your debt. 
we've got a program. I spoke with Jaime uh, Velasco over the weekend, and he said, hey, can we get Crown Financial up and running for those people that want to get involved? And he said, yes, I'll do it. So on your newsletter, his information is on the back. You can call him, you can sign up, and they can begin it. It's an incredible program if you're in a tough spot to rebuild. But there's other programs. I would encourage you to get involved in something and get serious about getting out of debt. God does not want you to be a slave to anyone except him, and he's going to take good care of you. And if you're a guest, I want to encourage you to study the Bible also, to do our core, board, core four Bible studies, and to begin a relationship with God. And in closing, here's our verse for our communion. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as a slave, you are a slave to the one you whom obey. Whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you are now entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have been become slaves to righteousness. You know, why, why are we talking about money in this series and today and debt? Because God's Word, the principles are the same. You and I, those of us that have turned over our lives to God, you know what happened today during our welcome? We had two young ladies who had an insurmountable debt that they could not pay. All of us who've turned over our lives. We had a trillion dollar sin debt that we could not pay. There was no way to resolve that. And Jesus came and he died to set us free. To cancel your debt. With his blood, with his body, he took a beating to pay your debt. So what would it be like to be set free from your debt of sin and get yourself right back into it after you're free. That's why we're talking about the principles today. God wants us to be live as free people, not as prisoners of debt and worry and stress because we made the wrong choices. Let's listen to Him. And today when we take the communion, I want to encourage you, think about the cross. Think about what Jesus did for you. Are you taking advantage of that freedom that He has given you? Are you going back to the same old way? And this is both financial and it's also spiritual. Some of you have gone back to your old way of living and are still accumulating spiritual debt, meaning you're doing the things that you used to do that you shouldn't be doing and God set you free from that and you're going right back into it again. You've been set free. And as it says here, live as free people. Don't go back. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege that you've given us today to hear your word, to learn about your word. God, we pray for our nation. God, you've blessed us so much and forgive us for the sins of our, our nation. Forgive us for our sins individually that it still wasn't enough. We wanted more. Help us, God, to change the way we live and help us to put our heart in the right place, not in money, but in you. Thank you, God, that Jesus came here to save us, to die for us, to set us free. Please help us as a people to start over and to begin our road to recovery, both spiritually and financially. Thank you for Jesus' body and blood that was poured out so we could be forgiven today. God, help us this week to live a life that's worthy of the calling of freedom. We love you. Bless us and help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.